0: Are we recording? Is this thing on? Yes, it is. Welcome to RevOps 500 where we invite the world's top marketers to answer the tough questions facing growing organizations. Ooh, sounds important. I'm Sajil Qureshi. And I'm Gil Faye. Join us as we dive deep into the world of RevOps. We'll be learning strategies and expertise from first-hand experience. RevOps 500 is sponsored by CompuTech. They provide technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketers. Let's get started. Hey, everyone, Sajil Koreshdi here with another episode of RevOps 500, where we interview some of North America's uh, biggest and brightest uh, B2B marketing personalities. Today, I am uh, extremely excited to have uh, our guest on. He's a visionary whose company is leading the charge in shaping the future of B2B go-to-market strategies. Uh, in my opinion, in the realm of high-growth B2B companies, uh, his company, Refine Labs, is the guiding light. Uh, they've got ref- a lot of proprietary frameworks, such as Revenue R&D and they assist different companies with demand, attributions, and, and analytics. Also, he's, the, uh, he's a podcast host, just like yours truly. He's uh, the dynamic voice behind the Revenue Vitals podcast. Uh, Chris Walker, welcome to RevOps 500.
1: Geo, thanks for the kind words. Uh, RevOps is something that I'm uh, consistently passionate about as I continue to interact with companies, um, and so looking forward to diving into this topic specifically.
0: Yeah, yeah, likewise. Glad, glad you're here, Chris. So uh, why don't we just jump right into it? So in your opinion... What is one RevOps myth?
1: Um, I think that one RevOps myth, I actually saw it on LinkedIn today. Somebody, a COO said uh, that RevOps is now the most important function in go-to-market, which is something that I tend to believe as well. But when you look at it in practice, companies continue to understaff and underfund this function. They end up being mainly order takers. There's not a lot of proactive... Uh, work being going on. And I think that there's just a lot more that this function needs to do for companies to drive the go to market strategy, not just react to reporting requests and implementing tools and things like that. So while I do believe it is the most important function, I just don't see that happening in practice as I interact with tons of large scale companies, 1000 person companies that have two person ops team. Um, And so those are some of the things that I think while they have a 50 or 60 person sales team and a 50 or 60 person marketing team or more, and so like, just look at the investment. It's clearly not a, a huge priority for companies and it needs to be.
0: And why do you think that is? Why do you think companies don't make it a priority, Chris? And what, what's your opinion behind that?
1: I, I honestly don't know. Um, so um, it's something that I'm, I continue to work with companies and I continue to study, but I haven't identified what the actual root cause of this is yet.
0: All okay, right, so and how how would you make it uh how would you make it a priority if someone said to you Chris you know we want you to come in we want lives to make and revops a, a, a big priority at our business what would you what would you say to them
1: What I think that companies need to do and some people have said this before but I'm going to explain it in a different way companies say we need to break uh, revops into strategic and tactical functions um, which I believe is a lot. I think that most companies, when they practice quote unquote RevOps, it's all tactical operational work. How do we implement this tool, build this ad hoc report? Can I see this dashboard? Go and run these metrics and it's all just reactive, fulfilling tickets. Um, we need an entirely different part of this function that is using standardized science and data to make informed go to market strategic decisions. How are we gonna think about attribution? What are the KPIs that we're going to measure? How frequently are we, are we going to measure them? What are we going, how are we going to use that data to determine how we allocate budget across marketing, sales, and and SDRs, not just giving the budget between these three functions and letting them decide those things as as they go. Um, I think we need uh, people that have the skills to look across the entire go-to-market based on a operating framework and data model that allow them to see these patterns and be able to inform the CMO, the CRO, the CEO about why we're doing things and what decisions we should make. Um, and I think that is a a huge missing piece to what a revOps function needs to do. That responsibility ends up falling split between the CMO and the CRO yeah.
0: um,
1: supported by the data requests that they get from a revOps team. Um, and I think that uh, we need to have a, a a splitting that function into strategic and tactical, I think would lead to a lot uh, more productivity across that function.
0: all right. So splitting it between strategic and tactical a little bit, that's kind of the one of the main things that you that you see on the on the RevOps side. There's so another what, thing' there's yeah, another, there's
1: another thing that like companies call it, quote unquote, rev ops, but they're still siloed functions. There's still someone that's responsible for marketing ops. Sales op, like revOps is basically a rebranding of sales ops. Most companies don't have customer success ops, or it's dramatically underfunded. And it's not really looking at the entire go to market holistically. It's still looking at it in siloed departments. Um, and so I think that, being able to rethink how we look at this. And a lot of this is driven by the operating models that companies use, the demand waterfall, lead, MQL, SQL, SQO, that sets you up to operate in an assembly line where marketing gets leads and MQLs, SDRs call those uh, MQLs and try and get SQLs, sales tries to convert those SQLs into SQOs and close one deals. Um, and it's still a, a an assembly line with uh, siloed departments rather than looking at it integrated where all three of these functions could be participating in all the core parts of the revenue process.
0: Okay, so yeah, that's a, uh, I mean, it's an interesting thing that you brought up there with the you know with the funnel and coming down the you know, MQLs, SQLs, and going into deals. Now, let's talk a bit about you know what you guys are known for, Refine Labs, which is like the the high row, right, the high intent revenue opportunities and stuff like that. Now, how do you tie something like when you when you say you go into to a business, you say look, you have to you have to think about marketing in this way. How is that is that something you could tie in together with RevOps, or is it something totally different? I mean, is it do can they work in unison in your opinion?
1: It's. A fundamentally new and different operating model that companies could adopt where they don't measure leads, MQLs, SQLs, SQOs, close one. They measure account activations, account conversions, hero pipeline, which is standardized based on a performance metric, as well as close one revenue. And when you fundamentally change the KPIs, you allow the teams to do different things because the KPIs are more aligned to overall business outcomes. And so I'm uh, interested to see. If RevOps can drive some of these changes, because every single CMO that I talk to knows that the demand waterfall is totally fucked. They know it's broken. They know it's not working. There's massive sales and marketing misalignment. They're adopting ABM tools in hopes that it saves the day by changing from an MQL to an MQA, but it doesn't. It's the underlying operating framework that companies use that needs to be adjusted. Um, and that's what we're pioneering. So hero pipeline becomes one core concept, but the overall operating model is far more robust. Um, and how you actually get to a hero pipeline calculation is by operating and looking at the data in a much more granular view based on the buyer's perspective, not the internal departments that are doing the work. And so from the buyer's perspective, how did the buyer convert, which then convert into pipeline, which then gives us what we call pipeline sources, which is a cohort of deals that have similar sales velocity dynamics based on how the buyer enters your pipeline as a surrogate for buyer intent. Um, And then when you look at that, you might see that there's big differences between your lead gen programs, your outbound programs, your website and your events in terms of overall sales velocity, um, which then allows you to look at your overall go to market in an entirely different way and then optimize for proven buyer journeys that already generate high sales velocity and revenue. Um, And I think that is just a much better view than looking at it as a singular funnel blending a bunch of mqls with demo requests and events and outbound all together and then looking at a blended view where your in- win rates show 11% but if you break it out granularly some programs have win rates of 4% and other programs have win rates of 35% and they're not actually seeing those things which would fundamentally change the company's strategy i believe
0: yeah and that's a, that's a good point if you if if you if you look at it that way where you know you you, you take the funnel, you flip it on its head a little bit, and then you put in like a, a hero model on top of it. Now, if you if you could like just kind of um, what is what is like one thing that you could say to like to 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 the audience to our listeners about how could they apply one part of the of like a, of a hero model with like a rev op strategy? Like what's like the what's like the lowest hanging fruit in your opinion, Chris?
1: Uh, companies could easily adjust from their definition of qualified pipeline, which is arbitrary and blended against stage one opportunities or SQLs or whatever they decide. Um, And instead of looking at it all blended, what they could do is they could change the definition of qualified pipeline from stage one to a hero definition, which is based on a six month rolling historical win rate greater than 25%, which would likely shift the stage of of, quote unquote qualified pipeline to hero pipeline to stage two, stage three or stage four, depending on the, the outputs of those pipeline sources. And when you shift that goal, what you do is you force marketing to deliver outcomes that align to sales team quota attainment and revenue attainment um, because it's connected by a win rate metric, not a subjective right. call about whether it hits stage one or not. And so the, the definition of hero pipeline can dynamically change as win rates drop, pipeline generation is going to be later stage and then it's go, you're going to generate quote unquote less pipeline, which is the right approach. Um, and so that's how we're using performance data to connect the sales and marketing and force alignment. It forces alignment between the teams because the win rate metric can change um and allows those two teams to be operating uh, in an integrated way.
0: Makes sense. You know, so Chris, let's just kind of let's talk technically a little bit. Like what what is um uh, when someone's implementing like a RevOps strategy or let's say even if 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 you're know, at Refine Labs, you guys are implementing a RevOps strategy. What sort of technical things would, would keep you up at night? You know, just when it comes to like, you know, setting it up, the attribution or like the, the strategy. What, what would keep you up at night in, in, in your RevOps operation?
1: Uh, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about uh, the market. I think sure. what, what should be keeping the market up at night mm-hmm. is that every single company reinvents the wheel when it comes to ops. And you're entirely dependent on the talent of one or two people inside of your company. Um, and so that leads to a bunch of inconsistencies. Data is defined a different way. There's no overarching standardization. So people are every single person inside of a go-to-market team is looking at data in a different way, and then generating an opinions, generating their opinions of the data. Um, and it's very different than how a company looks at their P and L. Every executive in, in the executive team can look at the P and L in a standardized way, using GAAP accounting principles and know what's going on in the business. And we need exactly. to do that with our revenue data. We have to be able to do that, to have a shared view across the executive team to inform and align our, our company on what decisions we're going to make. Um, yeah. So, I think that is what should be keeping companies up at night is that there's no, in the reinvention of the wheel, like there, there's no standardization and there's very slow progress in innovation. Um, and so I think that given where my company sits, we've worked with more than 250 companies inside of their Salesforce data, seeing how they do things, implementing these different things, finding the patterns of what works, accelerating the processes, standardizing the data. Um, and I think that over time, companies will try and operate under a shared, common standardized data model, just like they do for their P&L, when it comes to their revenue data and their CRM setup and things like that. Sure, it'll allow for customization based on your segments or your geos or all those different things, but the core underlying KPI and data model, I believe will be standardized over time. So the companies can can have a shared view across the executive team and go to market teams about what uh, what data they're looking at and why.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you mentioned something in there. So like obviously, yeah, you're you're saying that there's like, it's, it's a big cause of concern for most companies because they only have maybe one or two people focusing on, on the, on RevOps, the attribution of data. And you know, like you talk about generally accepted accounting principles. I mean, there's a lot more, Insight and, and and review of those things. So now, at Refine Labs, you guys do this for companies all the time, you know. And how do you, you know, how, how do you get in, into those weeds and 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 see those and see those symptoms and diagnose them, you know? Every because you said every company companies come in different shapes and size opposite, done differently everywhere. And then there's politics, there's internal, you know, probably internal, you know, squabbling or, or misunderstandings or conflict. You know, how do you navigate all that stuff? I mean, that seems yeah. like a lot.
1: Yeah, for the most part, I find that at least like growth stage or, or relatively mature companies do not have a data collection problem. They collect plenty of data and they push it into different places. What they actually have is a data structure and processing problem. The data is not in the right structure and they don't look at it in the right way to glean these types of insights and decisions. Mm. Um, and so what we do when we work with companies is we take their existing data, because most of it is there, we're able to manually transform it into our standardized data model using Hero Pipeline and other types of core KPIs so that when we look at their data, it's standardized just like we've looked at the other 25 or 30 companies before that and then are able to match patterns and trends and compare them against other of of their peers. Um, And so that transforming their data becomes the first part. While we do that, we also identify all the gaps and what their best practices should be. So what what data are you missing? What data do you need, and how does it need to be structured? Then we make those recommendations, or we work with partners, or we implement it ourselves to actually uh, put the data in the right place, so that in the future these types of analyses are far more robust. You can do them in real time instead of it taking four to six weeks to do it manually. Um, and so those really become the advantages when you implement this is that you go from being a, like running an analysis over four weeks to running analyses in real time. Um, which I think is what companies are eventually what they what they desire right now, and they do look at things in real time. Um, uh, my perspective though, is that they're just not looking at the right things in the right ways
0: if they're not looking at things in the right ways, and it's not really you, you don't see it as a conflict of trying to get them to to find you data. It's more just making them look at the looking at a picture in a different angle. is that is that right, or
1: um, I I don't. No, I'd like to say that it's a lot more robust than that, uh, especially, out of yeah. Yeah, especially yeah, especially respect for all the people like they're they're doing great work, they're looking at things based on the current best practices. Right. But the current best practices haven't been updated in 6 or 7 years. And so I don't believe that, that it's hard to say that those are current best practices based on what the world was like in 2017 mm-hmm. versus what the world is like now, so much has changed. Um and so it's not, ju- it's not just about looking at the data in a different view, it's shifting your organizational thinking around an entirely new way of going to market and a new way of collecting and looking at the data around a holistic go-to-market strategy in comparison to the outdated operating models that continue to use an assembly line, um, which then allows marketing to optimize for MQLs or stage one pipeline. And there's a lot of things that you can do to create MQLs and stage stage one pipeline that don't actually convert to quote, quote unquote hero pipeline or revenue, and by shifting the goals and aligning the teams, I think that you get generally better outcomes.
0: Hey everyone, thank you for listening to another episode of RevOps 500. This podcast is a great opportunity and channel for revenue operations and much more. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to ship production to a friendly team, check out ringmaster.com. They're the team behind this podcast. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Computan. Computan serves as the backend dev and technology team for shorthanded marketing agencies and departments shorthanded. Wait a minute. That sounds like me.
1: Now, let's get back to it. The end.
0: So you talked a little bit about the past, Chris, you know, and how the six, seven years ago, things changed, you know, things have changed a lot in the last six or seven years. Where do you see the future of of RevOps or even revenue attribution going? You know, the stuff that, you know, you guys, you guys are known for.
1: Um, so what I've re- recognized is the B2B market moves a lot slower than we think. Um. Not that much has fundamentally changed over the past 12 years. We still use generally we still use MQLs and leads like we did in 2012. Sure, now we have contact databases and ABM platforms and intent data and all these other tools that help us run our MQ, get MQLs and leads and MQAs more efficiently. Um, but the general model hasn't changed that much. Vendors just build technology to do what companies think that they want more effectively versus thinking about breakthrough or fundamental changes in the overall system. Um, I think that uh, another key thing is that uh, what I, I believe that uh, key performance indicators, KPIs versus attribution are two entirely different things. KPIs are the core metrics that we measure to understand whether we're on or off track attribution is a process of looking at how we allocate investments to try and decide what are the right things to cut scale, decrease, etc, to drive higher ROI and growth. These are two very different things. Companies end up blending them together. Um, they use very generous models like an influence revenue model against all opportunities and all contacts on an account, which then shows that every single thing that they're doing has dramatic ROI and is working. Yet all the core KPIs in the business are declining for the past six quarters. We do That's this right. and now it's enough. Hero pipeline creation down for the past six quarters. Sales velocity down over the past six quarters consistently. Marketing ROI down over the past six quarters consistently. And then companies share their influence revenue reports with me that show that all their programs have dramatic ROI. And it's like attribution can't show that. What you need is you need the core KPIs first. If the core KPIs are going in the wrong direction, there's no way that your marketing is performing better now than it was six quarters ago. Um, and so I think there'll be a far, uh, a dr- dramatic shift more to fundamental go-to-market KPIs as the core thing that we're looking at than supported by attribution, not the other way around. Um, we've created that standardized system. We report on tons of different metrics and we look at it in a much more granular view downstream, but close one revenue quarter over quarter, hero pipeline quarter over quarter, sales velocity, which is win rate, sales cycle length, um, ACV and qualified opportunities generated, uh, marketing ROI blended against hero pipeline creation and close one revenue. And you look at those metrics and then you see what's really going on um, from a business standpoint. And then you can break that down again and then look at how do our events perform versus our website versus this, versus this, versus this in terms of demand demand capture and demand conversion. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that will be the fundamental shift that companies make over the next two to three years um, to have a much brand newer view uh, across their entire go-to-market rather than just looking at the marketing team producing their influence revenue report to justify their $10 million program budget.
0: Got it. And what about like in the in the context of customer acquisition? Because rev you know, RevOps is, you know, of course, sales marketing, you know, customer success, that kind of stuff. What about in terms of customer success? How how do you what kind of metrics, what kind of change do you see happening there in the next couple of years?
1: Um, To be honest, this is not a place where I spend a lot of time and I really like to talk about the things that I know well and that I do every day. And so Mm. um, what I'm focused on is how do companies generate net new business. Um, And the reason I'm focused on it is because companies continue to really, especially over the past six quarters, continue to really struggle against net new business, which is a core growth lever inside of a company. Um, And there's a lot of like some marketing teams I see shifting their core metric from closed net new, closed one revenue to NRR as a marketing team. Mm. And what you should do is you should take your customer marketing budget and scrutinize that against NRR, not against your whole marketing budget. Um, And it allows marketing teams to spend a lot of money and draft off of existing expansion revenue while they're not really helping the business or drive ROI. I really think that sales and marketing as a go-to-market budget, typically it's decided based on a percentage of revenue um, and I really think it should be decided based on a percentage of net new business. Because um, the, the, as revenue grows, it allows the machine to continue to get more and more and more inefficient. Um, so those are some of the perspectives that uh, we'll continue to look at data and make uh, more educated decisions on.
0: Yeah, so splitting up that customer marketing budget from net new business is something that you feel like something most businesses should be doing, is that right?
1: It seems logical to me. like. Yeah. Uh, if you, if the core metric is NRR, and then you spend your entire marketing budget to expand customers and you have 110% NRR, what is the overall like growth in revenue? Maybe three, five million dollars for a company, right? You're a 50 million dollar company, you get 110% NRR, it's five million dollars, but you spend That's 10, right. 15, 20 million dollars on marketing to expand customers that may have already expanded anyway, regardless of what you mm-hmm. did in the marketing. Um, and so I think that we just, The way that we look at the budget based on marketing, sales and SDRs as departments, rather than an all-bound integrated revenue team, I think really changes the way that companies make decisions. If you looked at it as demand creation, demand capture, demand conversion and account expansion, then, and you broke the budgets up in that way, rather than by the department, you'd probably allocate budget really differently and you'd see the holes in where you're under investing. Um, And so I think that companies over time I don't think that companies will move on that very fast, despite how obvious and I think logical it is. It is um, yes. an entire mindset shift thinking. I think there needs to be a lot more infrastructure for companies to feel confident in that, but smart ones will. Smart ones will at least run the analysis ad hoc and look and see that they only spend two percent of their go-to-market budget on demand creation, and they only spend. So you could look at that and then be able to, to identify. Wow, we're way, way, way over invested. In sales and SDRs relative to the entire go-to-market, even our marketing budget skews to demand conversion and demand capture. Um, And so, I think that uh, companies will run that analysis, and hopefully, it will illuminate how the budget is being divided and identify the holes.
0: Chris, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. Uh, You know, how, how does and I've always wondered this about you, man. Like, how does a computer scientist with a background in biomedical engineering get into marketing and agency work and CRO and come up with some like hero like 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 a like a, like a metric like that what what's the story behind all that
1: because generating revenue is a science it can be studied just like biology or pharmacology or how to make people survive more when they have cancer it can be studied but what we need is we need to use scientific principles we need standardized data we need a new operating model based on how companies buy today we need third party objective peer reviewed people to be able to look at these things and decide when you have standardized data, then it's not just that you look at one company, but you can look at 100 companies in a standardized way. And then when you look at that and you say, wow, all 100 companies ran content syndication and out of those, they want an average lead to customer rate of 0.1%, which is one in a thousand. Um, and based on this data, we can we can confidently say based on statistics that if you do this thing, in this way, you are likely to get this result at a 95, 99% confidence interval, which is science, which is how they deploy strategies on patients in medicine, how they decide on how to get drugs through clinical trials. Um, And so that's the engineering background, taking it to go to market, which has been entirely based on experience and opinion up to this point. What did you do at your last company and did it work? What What did our investors say about what worked for the other companies they invested in? What's this influencer talking about, about how they now do this tactic? It's all people's experience and opinion, not based on large-scale scientific <laughs> principles and data. Um, and so I think that the way that we push it forward, and, and the reason why now for this is because the evolution of RevOps over the past five years has created the data infrastructure and the technology infrastructure to actually do it. Five years ago, this wasn't possible. When the analyst firms like Gartner and Forrester and Topo and Serious Decisions were created, none of this was possible. So what did they do? They talked to people and they ran surveys for people and then they came up with theories and things like that. Now we can use data. Um, And so I think that's a, a huge cause. Additionally, as we look at the distribution of content inside of LinkedIn, any single person can boot up their LinkedIn, pretend to be an influencer and talk about all their opinions. If you scroll through LinkedIn, you'll find there's no data behind anything people are saying. It's all people's opinions, which and now that everyone can do it, Every single person has to sift through that stuff and try and decide, is this credible? Is this relevant for me? And then you think about your entire go-to-market team, your entire sales team, SDRs, leadership, everyone's going through that exact same process every day, consuming content, and probably not thinking about how relevant is this to me? Is there data behind this? When they, when they call this metric out like qualified pipeline, what do they mean? Is it the same as my company or not? Um, and in science, when you say, you know, the ball went 300 feet, Everyone could measure 300 feet and know how far it was. Nobody can do that with pipeline or leads or anything like that because everyone uses a different subjective definition. Um, And so I think that all of my experience up to this point, manufacturing process optimization, six sigma and lean, engineering principles, statistics, uh, science, looking at clinical trial data for the medical device companies that I worked at, all those different experiences, have created a mindset where I believe that me and my company are able to really push this forward with an entirely new vision
0: and if you go back if you go back to yourself when you were in when you were in school studying biomedical or computer science, what what advice would you give yourself if you had a time machine going back? what what kind of things would you tell yourself?
1: Um, I don't really think like that um i uh, I'm a big believer in the uh, the uh, the writing of what's his name? Uh, Robert Green writes yeah, about this book.
0: Yeah, Free Lost of Power, yeah.
1: Yeah, and Mastery is actually my favorite book from him. Oh, uh, nice. Talks, talks about the stages of mastery, um, which I'm not, in, I'm not a master yet, uh, openly admit, but it talks about it in the first seven years or apprenticeship. Um, or actually the fir- before apprenticeship, it's actually finding what it actually is. And so in order to do that, you need to do a lot of things. You need to try stuff, you need to move around. Most people have a very linear career where they're a marketing coordinator and then they become a senior marketing coordinator and then a marketing manager and then they manage paid search and they continue with a linear career, um, typically or often in the same industry. Um, and so they don't have the different experiences in medical device and engineering and manufacturing and all these other places. Um, and those different experiences allow you to see how do different companies operate, how do different buyers operate, um, wh- how do we think about these different systems that could be applied in a different way. Um, and so uh, when I look back at my career in hindsight, most people would say like, this career doesn't make any sense. What was this guy doing for the past seven years? Um <laughs> it's me that all of it led to right to this place. Um, and so it would be like... Don't follow societal norms. Don't think about needing to have a linear career path. Think about making changes based on what you're interested in or what you learn. Um, Find opportunities outside of work to pursue other types of creative or scientific or passions of yours that allow you to get more experience, meet other people, see different things. Um, I really think at the beginning of your career, it's really about uh, having a diverse set of uh, background and experiences.
0: Yeah. And I, I I mean, would you would you feel comfortable saying that most marketers are maybe not as as you know quantitative in terms of like how they understand statistics and how they understand like the how how numbers work in marketing?
1: Um, I think it's like pretty rare for a B2B marketer to come out of a background of engineering or statistics or science. That's right. Um, And so I think it would be like undeniable to say that my background is different than most B2B marketers Um, and people have their own strength. There's a big art part of uh, marketing in terms of copywriting and things like that, that some people are really strong in and you need that stuff, too. Um, But in a company, you also need science and data. Um, And so, and a lot of companies, like every company looks at data, right? It's not like companies are just like making, just like guessing and making decisions. They're looking at the data. Um, But the difference is how you actually look at it and how you analyze it. Additionally, um, I found over time that having someone that's outside of the company that is free of the politics and tribal knowledges and overall biases that come with it, that gives you an outside perspective about your performance based on standardized data, can be incredibly valuable, even as just a as just a different view of like, hey, we report this way, we're seeing this on the other side. These two things are dramatically different. Um, what might we need to change in how we look at our data so that we can make better decisions?
0: Yeah, I mean that uh, that certainly makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, you you definitely see that a lot of days. I mean, where you know, like you said there is an art to the marketing, but there also is the the data behind it, and you know, it is. It is statistics. I mean, would you I mean would you say that in in your line of work, particularly at Refined Labs, that you know, you guys are more focused on the on the data? Storytelling or
1: um we do both. We do art and science here. Um, but the art is informed by the science and the quality of the art is decided by the science and data. Um and so like you build a big campaign for LinkedIn and everybody in the company thinks it's so great and it's so clever and it's so cool and it generates no revenue. Was the art good or was it not? It wasn't good. Um, the art should be de- the, the quality of the content, art, some copywriting, things like that should be determined based on results, not on people's opinions of how good it is. And, and creative and content have generally been subjective up to this point. Um, And so I think that we need to balance both of those things, but the data ends up being the check and balance of how good our art is.
0: Yeah, and I feel like uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, Chris, why why don't you tell the audience a bit more about Refined Labs and the things that you do over there?
1: Uh, At my company, we study the science of manufacturing revenue we work with a ton of companies, we are inside their CRM data, we have created new operating models and KPIs that companies can use. Uh, We've built a proprietary data model that allows us to look at a bunch of different companies in a standardized way and we'll eventually be able to create large scale benchmarks based on real CRM data that has never been done before. Um, And I believe that will be very powerful in terms of looking at core KPIs for a company and then being able to also compare it uh, anonymous and aggregated to what their peers perform at as a key level set before they even think about attribution. Um, uh, some companies that I interact with perform super well relative to their peers, and internally, they're complaining and think that they suck and they're missing their goals, and they're like a top 10% performer out of all SaaS companies. And you got other companies that are, a, a you know, 90th percentile performer, way at the bottom, and internally, they think they're doing great. Their marketing ROI is 20 cents on the dollar, And they think that they're doing great. And the way to show them that is to create standardized benchmarks that are a eye opener to, hey, like this is not a good thing. Um, And so I think being able to create that type of uh, data will allow and create confidence in how companies actually make decisions. And then we have implementation teams that join companies and help them implement, prove out, adopt, and train their team on how to execute a new strategy that uh, we've created that is different than the demand waterfall, which is a full-sale go-to-market team change that starts with marketing because fixing marketing for first is the way to to fix this. Um, and creating an underlying data layer that companies can use to make decisions. And then over time, we run what we call a revenue diagnostics process quarterly. We, we calculate all these different metrics. We we guide their roadmap and how they invest budget from the outside. Internal teams aren't doing this in terms of in RevOps. We think it's a huge opportunity that companies need to split strategic and tactical work. Okay, internally, you do the tactical work based on our guidance, and we're gonna handle the strategic work right now until companies properly uh, resource and fund that function to be able to do it. I mean, I think that we serve a a really critical part of the go-to-market strategy for B2B companies today.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Chris. And uh, where where can people learn more about you? Where can they connect with you?
1: Yeah. Feel free to check out the podcast. It's the B2B revenues Revenue Vitals podcast available on Apple and Spotify. It has been on fire recently. Appreciate all the listeners, the kind words. Thank you for that. Um, you can also uh, follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Walker 171 I post content there almost every day. A lot of clips from the podcast that are more micro bite-sized things. So feel free to check me out there as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I can just speak for all of us here, Chris. Thanks for coming on and being part of the show. It's been a been a lot of fun learning about you, jamming about, about you with numbers, learning a bit about your background. It's been a, been a great experience.
1: Yeah, this was a blast. Great interview. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So uh, uh, for anybody listening out there, if you learned something today, uh, let us know. Give us a shout. Uh, check out Chris online. Check out the podcast. He's, uh, he's really good. He's a good follow. Uh, this is, uh, thanks again, Chris, for coming on. Thank you. This has been another exciting episode of RevOps 500, and we'll see you guys next time. And that wraps up another episode of RevOps 500. Thanks for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revops500.com. RevOps 500 is sponsored by Computing, providing technical and development expertise to growth-focused marketing.